Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and today I have a delightful conversation with Holly Lawrence. Holly has won everything there is to win in the world of Iron Man 70.3, but it hasn't all been smooth sailing. She's dealt with almost career-ending injuries, but she's come out stronger and better. In this episode, Holly describes how she's taken control of her life and learned to manage expectations and her own emotions. She's incredibly passionate about the sport of triathlon and just feels so fortunate to be able to do it professionally. And she describes how that that feeling of gratefulness for the opportunity to train and race as a professional is helping her performances overall. Now, a quick bit of housekeeping before we go on. If you're enjoying the show, I'd love a review on Apple Podcasts. That would really help me out. Uh, please keep the feedback coming on social media. That is absolutely fantastic. And finally, please go to bennettendurance.com forward slash media for the show notes, the timestamps, coupon codes, and all the links to this episode. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. I'm so grateful for the continued support of the show from these incredible sponsors. You really do need to have these products in your life. Personally, I use each of them daily. Athletic Greens, nutritional beverage, hyperice recovery tools, and the glutathione supplement, Continual G. What I love about Athletic Greens is its simplicity. It's delivered straight to your door and it takes seconds to mix with water. It tastes great and goes down easy. And I know I'm getting the most comprehensive nutritional beverage on the planet in one quick drink. If you're looking for one product that has as much high quality nutrients in it as possible, then you want to consider Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is more than just a multivitamin and multimineral. It takes it to the next level, adding a daily dose of superfoods, probiotics, greens blend, and more to support the gut health, energy, immunity, and stress. And right now, Athletic Greens is giving you, my audience, a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula. You'll receive one year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs for free with your first purchase for additional immune support. Many of the population are vitamin D deficient, including myself. I focus heavily in getting in the sun throughout the day, but when I can't, I religiously supplement with vitamin D. Adding vitamin D to your daily routine is just a great way to support vitamin D production. So if you're looking to get more out of your multivitamin and invest in your immunity, energy, and gut health, then you'll struggle to find anything more comprehensive than athletic greens. Take ownership of your health today and receive comprehensive nutritional insurance, a free year supply of vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Now, you'll hear me mention Normatec and Hypervolt from Hyperice in several of the conversations with my guests in this show. Many of my guests and I are using these recovery tools religiously. You really must have them in your house. Sit in a pair of Normatec boots at the end of a long day. Use the Hypervolt percussion massage device to warm up muscles and loosen hot spots before working out or anytime you have a niggling injury. They're just so easy and they're so quick and they work. Their vibrating foam rollers, thermal technology, and Normatec compression systems just help you warm up faster, recover quicker, and simply move better. Seriously, these products are the perfect Christmas gift for any family member or good friend. Get $50 off all percussion devices now, no code needed, and get an additional 10% off with code GREG10 at hyperice.com. That's hyperice.com. H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E dot com and use code GREG10. 
10 for 10% off. I have a web address for all of my listeners who already know that one, the human body makes the most powerful antioxidants on earth. Two, the master antioxidant your body cells make is called glutathione and the human body needs glutathione to live. Three, the reason I'm addressing a select group of listeners with this web address is that once you see what these scientists in my hometown, Sydney, have accomplished, it'll blow your mind. Go check out continualg.com, continualg.com. That's C-O-N-T-I-N-U-A-L-G.com. Check it out and let them know that I told you about it. All right, today's guest is one of the world's greatest triathletes. She's won almost 50% of the Ironman 70.3 she started in since 2012, or even better than that, 65% of the races that she started since 2016. And when she's not winning, she's on the podium every time she races. And that includes the World Championships, which she won in 2016. Then after dealing with an almost career-ending injury in 2018, she came back in 2019 with a second place. In the world of endurance sport, she's still incredibly young, and I feel she's only scratched the surface of her potential, and I'm really excited for her next five to ten years. I'm a huge fan of how she races, and I'm honoured to have her on the show. So welcome, and thank you for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Holly Lawrence, how are you? Hey, thanks for having me. Boy, you made me sound great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just go through your resume. I didn't do anything. You did that yourself. I didn't know those stats. (laughs) 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 Yes, I should be your marketing PR. Well, yeah. (laughs) I'm really excited to finally get you. It did take us a couple of weeks. We missed each other. You got stuck in LA traffic a couple of weeks ago. So I was really excited to to have you on the show, especially before sort of the big race coming up, the the one race that, that that's coming up at the end of this year, the the Challenge Daytona event, um, and I was excited to get you before we did that race. So thank you for making it happen. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So we um, we first met in 2016, Beijing. I don't know if you remember that, but it was basically the week after you just won your world championship title. And then I think you went on, you did go in that Beijing race as well. Um, But since then, it's been up and down, but boy, you've been consistent. Yeah, it's been pretty nuts. That was kind of the the start of everything, uh, winning Worlds in 2016. And I, I say that's the moment that my life changed, that suddenly like I, you know, people were, instead of betting against me or you didn't know who I was, it was suddenly like, oh, okay, now I felt like, oh, I've got got something to prove instead of just kind of flying in under the radar, which I was kind of in a nice position before in that case. So, Yeah, it changes, yeah. It changes the way you approach the sport, doesn't it? Suddenly you have these other expectations that you didn't realize were even around, you know, other people's expectations and you're trying to get remove those and just focus on yourself. Was that... 2016 win did you go into it believing it was really possible or did it kind of blindside you oh no I didn't I mean I was so I was invited um to be one of the like the five favorites to be um interviewed by the NBC um broadcast for the world champ race and I was like what am I doing here like I don't I'm not one of the favorites and I, I just kind of like you know, I told everyone like, oh, I want to get like top 15 or top 10, which I publicly kind of put my, I don't tell other people what my real goals are. I always kind of mute them a little bit. And for me, it's a little bit better, but I really didn't expect to win it. It was something that I was aiming for in a couple of years time, 
but mm. definitely uh, not something that I, you know, even dreamt was possible um, then. So, like, I, you know, gave this really um, crap interview because they wanted me to go, you know, I'm going for the win like everyone else does. And I was like, I just wouldn't say it. I was like, I just want to swim, bike, and run as fast as I can, and that's all I can do. And I'm going to be happy whatever the outcome is. And, they, you know, they just wanted more from me. But, um, yeah, I was kinda, it was it was great um, for me going into that race as kind of, for me, like an underdog. Um, Cause I just didn't have any pressure and it was just like, it was a great way to go into a great race when you're, you know, everything else is aligned and not having the pressure. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Did you find, I mean, sometimes when you go into these races and you, you're feeling good about yourself, but you're not, expecting yourself to win and others really aren't probably expecting you to win was the exhilaration of that win even greater because of the it it, it was almost a little bit of a shock or you had such a lead were you able to kind of get comfortable with the idea of winning when it did happen yeah no not at all like I (laughs) I'm probably the only person ever that's taken out of an aid station uh like water coke everything like 400 meters from the finish (laughs) like I was like (laughs) I am not losing this thing (laughs) like I didn't enjoy the finish line (laughs) I was just like until that tape was in my hands like I didn't believe it (laughs) that's hilarious yeah all the way down you didn't give yourself a chance to really embrace it you're just like cross the line I wasn't clapping hands I wasn't no it was like just beeline to the finish line and because I just didn't believe it nothing like even all the time splits I was getting I just I just said oh you know that can't be true it's it's really this you know I was just playing mind games with myself and I just never let myself believe it isn't that funny isn't that funny it, it took you all that time to just cross that line until you really <laughs> gave gave yourself the chance and and you look back and you go hang on I had what was it? I think uh, Melissa Hoshult was uh, second, about three minutes back. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, I, I it was like two and a half minutes or something. Yeah. But like, yeah. I remember on the bike, I was getting time splits by the motorbikes, and it was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, I think it was like four minutes at some point, and I just like, I'm like, well, they clearly don't know how to give somebody a time split, like. <laughs> That is so great. I love that. I, I haven't actually heard you kind of frame it like that because it's funny. Sometimes it's quite frightening to be in the lead of a major race. You know, there's oh, yeah. one thing to be chasing, but it's it's quite frightening. And I, I myself had to visualize a lot winning races because it's very uncomfortable to be up the front and everybody chasing you down. I mean, when you think about that and you put yourself back in that situation, was it a little, was that fear and self-doubt creeping in and you were having to manage that, that just the whole time? I think I kind of go the opposite way that I just, I just always think they're, they're chasing me. They're right behind me. Like I never, I never believe like I'm gaining distance. I never put myself in like a complacent place where any, you know, I just think like, you know, even when I'm two minutes in the lead on the run, I just think, no, I'm being closed down. Like it's, it's going to be to the finish. Like I never, Mm. I never kind of let up. But, and then, I mean, after that race, it wasn't like uh, some people can win a world title and then you kind of don't really see them the next year. It's almost like expectation gets in the way or they (laughs) they feel like they fluked it. But for you, it was completely the opposite. You basically went 
almost undefeated for 2017. Um, yeah. Just one, one race after another, boom, boom, boom. You really – Until just, World Champs. Well, you didn't have a great world champ, so I was going to leave that out, but you brought it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't tell the the story and not leave that out. I mean, yeah, yeah. What what happened there then? Okay, so for everybody, I mean, you won six seventy point threes that that yeah. year, plus a, a, other events, but then world champs twenty seventeen. You come in obvious favorite to some degree that expectation the weight on your shoulders was there a little bit of that was it kind of like oh, felt- it was horrible I hated mm-hmm. it uh, so like so kind of like backtrack so winning 70.3 worlds in 16 and I'd gone from like I totally naive about you know the professional side of the sport I just was racing for prize money pretty much um and then suddenly you know I'm signing deals with sponsors getting an agent and you know everything's changing and then I've got instead of just myself to race for I'm all these other people who believe in me that I'm like I am petrified of disappointing Mm. um and then coming out into 17 I just raced so hard I just you know my anxiety was like through the roof because I just thought oh I've got you know I've got to prove to all these people that I'm worth it, that I'm worth what they're investing in me, that, you know, they're right to believe in me, that I'm not a fluke and I'm proving that to myself too. And Mm. even in Oceanside, my first race back in 2017, I won by like nine and a half minutes. Like that was just stupid. I could have just, you know, (laughs) clocked it. I'm, you know, seven minutes in the lead I can cool it off and jog it home because I'm racing again in two weeks time or whatever it was and I just like raced aggressively and hard like back to back to back to back um it was too scared to take a recovery week you know mid-season when it was totally planned and just like the insecurity creeping in and mm. um and then I just picked up a little foot injury um like mid-season and that's when I was kind of then just managing until world champs like I just I just like messed up totally that season kind of build I just came out way too hard just pushed myself way too much didn't give myself any break you know against what my coach was getting me to do at the time anyway and then leading into world champs I had a foot injury that I was totally hiding and ended up stupidly running on a alter G and my foot didn't hurt at like 10% less of my body weight, decided it was a great idea to just lose 10% of my body weight, <laughs> came in, came into world champs. Everyone's saying, oh my God, you're so, you look so fit. You're going to win this thing. I'm there with number one. I wanted to just hide. Because I'm like, I'm a fraud. Like, I'm not fit at all. I had the worst swim of my life. I lost, you know, what makes me strong. And the, like, I had a bad swim, came onto the bike, just having, you know, no power. And I was like, I don't even know if they can run after this. I just wow. pulled the pin. And yeah, that, that was a really low point. But it's a great, I mean, you've touched on so much in that. I mean, I've often chatted on these on this show about anxiety and insecurities and, you know, even, you know, Jan Fredino, who's kind of won everything we were talking about, self-doubt and 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 fear and mm-hmm. and how we all use that as a fuel, 
Now, yeah, the only thing that you probably went wrong in using that fuel is, is you didn't listen to your coach or listen to yourself and just back off a little bit. Like it's, yeah, it's uh, you can see that you came out swinging, you know, and you really were just doing incredibly well. But what I love about that year is the tremendous learning you got from it. As a 27-year-old, you came out, you got to win at 26, come out and have one of the best learning years of your life in 2017, you know, and to have that so young, I mean, young and relative in terms of, you know, the endurance sporting world that we're in, to get that experience so early on is just absolutely fantastic. You know, to have that kind of result, that slap in the faces, that knockdown we we often need. You you got it early and now you just got to remember to go back to that, <laughs> you know, and yeah. remind yourself, remind yeah. yourself it's okay to take a rest. It's okay to, yeah. you know, progress because then, like you said, 2018, was that the same foot injury that then lasted into 2018 and you kept racing on or was it different? No, so that was a different, so before I like just tore my plantar plate, but in 2018, um, I fractured my navicular and I honestly think, um, you know, what led to that was also just going against my body and just losing all that weight in Mm. for that short time in 17. And, you know, I just wasn't fueling myself. I was just putting myself in a really bad spot. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of a freak accident. I crashed, um, on my bike uh, that was in 2000, late 2017, just before Island House. It was like 10 days out of before Island House. I crashed on my bike just stupidly on a training ride. I was riding early at the normal in the shadows. I didn't see um, like the potholes and I just like lost my hands. And that evening, my I swore my ankle was broken, um, but never got it x-rayed. I just managed to get to sleep that night because I didn't know whether to go to A&E or, um, and then race Island House 10 days later, came third, was great. Went to Bahrain the week after, won it, was fine. But I just still got this like weird clicking sensation. It was just kind of like off. And then it wasn't until Oceanside in 2018 that it just like gave way and broke. Is, do you think a lot of that was, I mean, we we see it a little bit, in, especially in sport, men and women, when we mm. lose weight too quickly. Do you think it was a little bit of malnutrition? You were losing, Oh, totally. Know, I think what I did, yeah, in 2017 that, yeah, that I think that contributed to it. Mm. It's, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because we all want to get light and we all have this yeah. body image issue. I, I feel like it's not just women. I feel like the women are, oh, speak out no. about more, but us men are t- just as bad with the yeah. whole, you know, I can't see my six pack. I'm, I, I can't see ribs. I'm not ready to race. And it's like, you, yeah, I can't right. tell you how many times I did it myself. Right. So, yeah. but again, it's, it's, it's a great, great learning, you know, that little Thanks. window. And then that 2018, then you, you were out for, well, for quite a while that year. I mean, you still, came back um, at the end of the year and won Bahrain again. Um, so uh, take us through that. Was that. Did you feel like, okay, my, I've had my career and I'm done or was it <gasps> always feeling like I could get back? Yeah, I mean, so when it first broke, um, I went to see one surgeon and he was super optimistic, kind of just told me what I wanted to hear, which was, it's going to heal in six weeks. We're going to CT scan this thing every two weeks. You're going to be right as rain, like no worries. And I was getting CT scans every two weeks and it just wasn't healing. 
Um, so then I was like, well, okay, I need to see another surgeon, get another opinion. And this was a highly esteemed surgeon, specializes in naviculars. And she was like, your career's over. Um, you know, you're not going to come back from this. And I, I went in on my own thinking it wasn't, you know, going to be a traumatic, um, mm. you know, appointment. And I came out screen crying like my life was over. Like I was like not prepared for it, wasn't ready for that and just hadn't even, you know, come to terms that that could even happen. Um, so then obviously went to see other surgeons and um, I went to the same surgeon that Jesse Thomas got his navicular done. Um, and he was just kind of very matter of fact, but having a positive outcome. So I obviously went with him <laughs> and just did everything by the book, but it almost like it, even though it was so horrific getting that horrible, like, you know, terminal prognosis, it really helped me because I never, cause you know how we all are. If you, you know, you say you, you're going to start running back in 12 weeks, you're going to push it at 10. You're going to, you're going to push, push the lines wherever you can. Whereas mm-hmm. like when I got my, you know, 16 weeks, you can put pressure on it. I, you know, I had it all in my diary. I wasn't, I wasn't going to push that thing at all. I was going to, you know, if it was, if it was longer, I didn't care. It wasn't terminal. Like I was kind of faced with the worst that anything Mm. back from that just, you know, seemed amazing. Were were you a good, um, uh, let me put it this way. Johnny Brownlee, when I had him on a couple of episodes (laughs) back, when, when he, he had his injuries and was trying to get back, he said, look, I just want to be the, I want to be the world's greatest athlete, but now I want to be the world's best at being a patient and and working out (laughs) this injury. Were you a good patient? Were you, were you on it every day? Or, I mean, how, how was it for you? Because I, I, I myself had a lot of injuries. So did my wife, Laura, who, who I think, you know, um, you know, we managed these things the whole time and we want it so badly. We want so badly to be great. We want to look after our sponsors and the expectations and we want to race and all of that. And then you get this, these injuries and it's this, you can have this woe is me, this pity party that goes on, mm-hmm. but it, uh, was there a point, uh, how was the emotional roller coaster for you in managing all of that? Yeah. I mean, there were definitely really dark times. I think it's hard when you can't even walk. Like it's such a basic thing that, you know, your foot is cast up for what, four months. I wow. think it was in total. Like you can't, you can't walk with two feet. Like you're either on crutches or you're on a scooter. You can't, you know, take a mug from one room <laughs> to the other room. It's like basic things that you, yeah. you look at a set of stairs and you're like, well, I can't go in there. <laughs> and then, like, oh, it's just wow. such like, ah, oh, it just, it was heartbreaking like all the time, but I got myself to the pool nearly every day. I crutched in there, wiped out on the floor. <laughs> Oh jeez! Because <laughs> it was just like I swore every time I was going to buy them <laughs> carpet. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just there was definitely bad times, but now I just think, gosh, I got through it. Like that's, you know, you're proud of yourself for getting through that suck. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. I think not glamorizing those times and and just just knowing that time will pass and you just Isn't need it? to pass it as, however you can. That's what I try and tell people now. Just look after your head. You know, time is going to pass. You just have to do it any way you can. 
And, and, and I tell people, you will remember how to swim, bike and run. It will come back to you. Because when you're in that dark place, you think, I, I don't know that I'll ever know how yeah. to run co- coordinated. I don't. And then you have that joy. Tell me about that joy. Oh, that, my that, gosh. Not just to run with any kind of pain or stiffness, yeah. but that, that first free-flowing run that you had. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, it's, it's so gradual that you don't know it's happened. But I think it's like when, you've, when you realise, oh, my gosh, the fear's gone, you mm. know you're okay. And I just remember thinking like, wow, I, it's just so gradual. that it's, You know, when you've had an injury and you forget which foot it was, but with something, with such a bad injury, you just have this fear that like it doesn't matter if you've, you know, been running for 10 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is. It's just this nagging fear in your head that's, you know, any un, you're looking all the way, at, you know, unstable footing or whatever it is that. And yeah, I guess it's just, yeah, it, but it comes so quickly. That's the thing. Like I remember first getting my foot out of the cast and my foot was just like a brick, like at a right angle. And I'm thinking, you know, when you, you know, you can point your one foot and the other one just stuck up there. And I'm like, it's, it's never going to move like a normal foot. Like how, how can I, you know, I, I took my, my booty off thinking I could just swim. And I'm like, I can't even kick. Like there's nothing, there's nothing in the way, but I just can't, like my, my leg doesn't move the way it's supposed to. And you just, you freak out that it's never going to come back. But yeah, I mean, your body's amazing that it can go through so much. I mean, you had all that happening until August and then you're winning 70.3 Bahrain, which was a stacked field, a quality field. Yeah. Only September, October, November. What is that? Four months later. I mean, that's yeah. It's no time at pretty, all. That's really quick progression. I Basically, know. you're looking at twelve to sixteen weeks to peak performance. That's I really extraordinary. In my in my diary, it was like September tenth. I was allowed yeah. to take my first run step to winning my first race in December like tenth. That's like, amazing. That's nuts. Yeah. And then you went on, you, you continued that form then, you, you know, you basically went on another winning spree, much like 2017, yeah. back into you. <laughs> Honestly, and, and the only person that got you a couple of times, and I just, I'm really excited for this huge rivalry, and I'm going to talk it up on this show a little bit, you and <laughs> Daniela Riff in the 70.3 world, and, and I think for you, we can talk about later in the show in, in the full distance, but I think, um, you know, you, you went on, Dubai, North American champ St. George, you won. Uh, you got beaten in California at the Oceanside by Daniela, right? That was yeah. uh, the, the first time. And then you won the Asia Pacific champs in Vietnam, European champs uh, in, um, where was that? In the Netherlands. Altenor. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then in the Nice World champs, again, you and Daniela. Tell me about, I mean, going into that second, that, that world championships, that second time you got to race Daniela. She got you in Oceanside pretty comfortably, I think, right? Yeah. Were you, what was your thoughts going into, okay, you know, Daniela's been my menace. How am I going to, how am I going to take her down in this race? What was the mindset going into Nice? I mean, for Nice, it was so different with the, with the like climb and the descent. It was like an hour's worth of um, like mm. descending almost, like, you know, on and off. Um, and like descending is not my forte at all. So for me, it was just doing the best I could do. And I really didn't focus on Daniel. And I don't, I don't tend to just focus on 
an athlete because I just getting the best out of myself will just take care of, you know, what I can do. So I don't kind of fixate on somebody. And, um, but obviously when I came off onto the run, I tried as hard as I could to eat time into her because that was my only, you know, play that I could make to, um, do anything. But, but I was just like, it was like, I just got a new lease of life. Like, Mm. you know, I'd, had the pressure I put on myself in 17, um, you know, it, you know, the worst happened in 2018. I didn't lose all my sponsors. They all stuck with me. And then I was like, I am just doing this like I had nobody, no pressure, just loving it, traveling the world, which I always wanted to do. It's my job now. And just like making the most of every experience and not kind of torturing myself with any extra, you know, pressure that I was putting on myself. So it was just a really kind of like free year of, of racing, which I just kind of reveled in. I, I, we've chatted about this. Uh, there's been a few people I've had on this show where we talk about um, when we get rid of expectations and we just go race, like you, like you just said, with, with freedom, yeah. where we're free. And it's amazing how you can perform. Um, look, we can use expectation and anxiety and some insecurities to help fuel us, but it's kind of this, I am so grateful to be able to be on the start line. I am so fortunate to be able to be doing what I am doing. Let's just go let it happen. And it's amazing when you take that attitude, how it just really affects you ability to perform at your very, very best. Um, and, and I love that because then again, you know, you've gone on to, to win Bahrain again, um, and and finish off the year in great style. 2020 was hotting up, um, obviously with the shutdowns and, and the world, you know, going a bit crazy. It, it, it hasn't been fantastic, but it was good to see you back on the start line again, a few weeks ago at 70.3 Ironman Cozumel, um, which you had, as no surprise, another win, um, yeah. <laughs> fairly comfortable. Um, but that one, I think it was about a 10 minute <laughs> win. Yeah. How's this year been for you, you know, without going, having, you know, too much about it, but it's, how's it been sort of managing the expectation of having a season, not having a season, trying to stay fit, not staying fit. What, what's it been like for you? Yeah. I mean, I feel like this year is just, it's just had so many kind of parts to it. They were just you know, at first you thought it was going to be really short lived and I'm making a plan B race schedule, a plan C and, you know, that gets thrown out and then you're like, okay, well, you're just always reevaluating. But, um, I think it's been, it's not been too bad from a motivation side or kind of beating yourself up about it. Cause it's like, it's not something that mm. you've personally messed up, which I think so many athletes feel, which is quite funny really that you're like oh at least it's not my fault (laughs) like (laughs) most of the time you miss races is because you know you messed up you got injured um and this is just something that we're all in together and it's just happening and it's nothing you know we can do about it we all just have to play with the cards we're dealt Mm. um yeah it's just it's you know you just you just adapt. And I feel like with everything else that has happened in the past, I'm probably better equipped to adapt. No, for sure. I, I think that's, that's a really good way of putting it. It's almost like you control the controllables. Um, I was walking yeah. with Laura and the kids a few weeks back and, you know, we, we would 
had planned to go back to Australia for a bit and, and all sorts of things. And it's kind of like, you know what? It's been taken away from us. We can't do anything about it. And it's almost, it's forced us to be more present right in that moment. Oh, totally, yeah. And you kind of go, it's actually kind of nice just to not overthink it. You know, I can't do anything about it. So let's just, what can I do? And get on with it. Um, so, I mean, you have this race coming up in, you know, a week or so. Tell me how, how you're excited about that. Has that been one where you've been, okay, it's definitely happening or have you been training cautiously thinking, okay, maybe it won't happen, maybe it will? Yeah, I mean, with everything this year, you just you just don't know. You're like, even if it's, even if people say it's 100% guaranteed in the back of your head, you're like, yeah. But that doesn't, you know, 2020 still happens. And, yeah, I just, like, but I can't wait. I can't wait for the PTO race just because it's going to be so different. It's not what we normally do. It's against absolutely everyone across, like, ITU and long distance. So it's just going to be fun and different. And there isn't any pressure because it's just such an unknown with, you know, who, who can perform at that kind of race. Um, so yeah, it'll just be fun. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm looking forward to watching it. I think the PTO, for people who don't know, it's a professional triathlete organization. They've put together a race in Daytona, Florida on December 6th that they've put up uh, $1.15 million of prize purse. They're really trying their best to, to, find a race and create something special for the professional athletes out there that haven't had a chance to race. There is a big amateur race going on as well. Um, but they have invited a number of the the short course athletes, uh, the ITU type athletes, what do we call them? World Triathlon Series athletes. That, um, and, and it will be a nice mix up. I, for one, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you race, you know, the, I think, Flora Duffy's of the world and that yeah. I think it, it, it's going to be a really – I think you're going to enjoy it. I really do it because I think you've all got so many weapons that you're all yeah. going to get more out of each other and that's always great. When you have somebody that's always trying to get more out of you, I think it's just fantastic. Um, yeah. So I, for one, I'm going to try and get up there. I'm only a couple of hours south. I'd love to get up there and see you all in person, but I know it's it's not easy for spectators to get in, so I'm, I'm not holding my breath, but I might try <laughs> and get up there. <laughs> A quick mini break, I really want to encourage you to do something special for yourself and sign up to Athletic Greens and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. What I want to do with the show right now is I actually want want to wind the clock back a little bit and get to know you a little bit better. when was it that you kind of you found the passion for endurance sports and, and how old are you and what were you up to? Yeah, so I started um, swimming pretty at a pretty young age with my brother um, and he was like mega talented, um, was making national finals really early on. Um, hmm. I was just kind of one that, that tried really hard. It didn't really pay off. Um, kind of trained better than I raced. Uh, I just was like too stressed racing. I, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the racing part. Um, I would do like my fastest hundred in the first hundred of a 200 instead of a hundred, which made no sense. Um, 
and and I kind of just hit the plateau at like 16. I was making like regionals, regional finals, but, you know, and just being a backseat with my brother every year at nationals and he was making Olympic finals. Um, I was doing a bit of cross country at school and did well. Like we went to nationals for that, like national schools and things. And um, I love cross country. And then, then my parents just kind of heard about triathlon and just thought it might be a, might be a good thing to do for me to like find some success, I guess. Um, and then just got super stuck into that. And, and but was there a point where you were like in, in the sport of triathlon where you were like, okay, this is what I should be doing? Was there a real like yeah. moment? Was it, was it just gradually happened? You're like, oh. really? It was like super gradual. That um, in the UK at least there's this like um, domestic. Uh, I think it was called the super. I can't remember what it was called now. There's just like a domestic circuit that's uh, really good for like young elites going up through the system um, to race for money and it's they're kind of prolific. Um, and then I started racing some European Cups, went to university for triathlon at Swansea that it was like a satellite centre, so it wasn't like Loughborough where everyone goes for triathlon. Um, and just kind of like just gradually kind of built through the ranks of that. But I was never really taken seriously. I I never took myself too seriously. Like I loved it. I loved getting better, but I never thought like, oh, this could be a career or, you know, it was just something that I can, I'm going to do as long as I can because I love it and just see where I can get to. Um, And then I was still doing the short course then. Mm, Um, mm. Did you, did you, was it a conscious decision to leave short course? Why, I mean, the Olympics, you with your swim background and run background, was the Olympics ever on your agenda? So I was always trying to kind of get onto funding, get onto kind of the British triathlon program. But um, I was told really early on that my running would never be good enough, even though I'd never really had uh, like a run coach or. Like, I, you know, I was just kind of, my face didn't fit. I was too old to come into it at 16. Oh, my God. I remember Who was old. telling you that yeah, you're running? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, and then, like, I was selected for European champs in, I think that was, like, 2013, um, which I was there for myself. And then during the race, I was I was getting told to stop by the people that I'm trying to please um, because they wanted me to wait for another girl who was a faster runner than me that, but I wasn't there to be a domestic and they ended up wanting me to be a domestic. And I just, you know, that's not what I was there for. It just wasn't. And I was just devastated and I just wasn't ever taken seriously that, um, I think that was like the same year I did high V and some other like 51 fifties. And I just loved that. Yeah. That it was after in 2014, I went to Commonwealth Games and it was just a political nightmare that I was there on the Welsh team, but just doing the super sprint relay and they didn't put anyone in the um, individual just because, you know, it was a political nightmare. And I ended up 
you know, just saying, screw this, I'm going long course, I'm moving to America. I just, I didn't want any part of it anymore. Well, I, I think good on you for a, uh, you know, controlling yourself, basically taking full control of your life is, is one of the things I'm a big, big advocate of. You know, I, I was consulting with a young guy from Scotland and uh, I think he was banging his head against the, the wall yeah. with the British Federation and couldn't get starts and the way it was all set up. And uh, and I remember saying to him, mate, you just, from from what I could see physically, he was always going to be better off doing going a bit longer anyway. Yeah. And I said, you know, you're passionate about the sport. Stop banging your head and, and there are you know, other alternatives. And and so for him, it was a, it was a big deal. And, and you've done the same thing. And I think all credit to you. And, and in fairness to the British, I, I will say that they have had probably one of the strongest teams in the world for you know, 10 to 15 years now, um, both on the men's and the women's. Um, and so they have tightened the reins, you know, uh, more and more and more. I think the problem, the issue becomes with that when you tighten and tighten so much, boy, do you lose a lot of great talent, you know, on the on the extreme that you haven't dialed in yet. And, and for me, you're one of them. You know, you are one of the great talents to come out of Britain. And you showed that once you decided to say, right, I'm going to get on with it and take you know, full control and I'm going to move to the US and, and go long course. And yeah. and then so when that 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 taking control and that kind of going all in, was that sort of around that start of 2015, end of 2014? Yeah, so, yeah, it was like January I moved out um to San Francisco to work with Matt Dixon. Um and because I, I didn't a couple of 70.3s and I just loved it. Like, and it was more to my strengths anyway, because I was a strong biker, a strong swimmer. And I'd be sometimes in, you know, ITU races that the bike is just pedestrian waiting for, you know, you're counting the girls around you who can, you could, who can run faster than you. So mm, um, that's not fun. Yeah. Just, I just love the 70.3 distance. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you say you're a strong swimmer, strong biker. You're also a phenomenal runner. You're still you're still running low one twenties for the half marathon off the bike, and I'm telling you that's that's moving still. I think that's what makes you a special athlete is you are the complete athlete. You know you you have weapons across the board, and that's that's a scary person to race. Um, you know, so I, I think that that's absolutely fantastic. Then moving to the US, did you come on your own? What was your team and and the people around you? I mean, did you? How did that all work out? Because now you have a reasonable team. But tell me, when you first came over, what was that like? Mm, yeah, so um, I was actually with a boyfriend at the time, and he was – so it was it was a really easy kind of move because he was looking to get a job in America, and um, it was actually Matt Dixon that connected him with his job. So then we just both moved out, and, um, yeah, it was we were just – it was just kind of a really lucky, lucky situation. And, um, I eventually didn't end up staying with Matt. I think I was with him for a year and then, uh, moved down to Santa Monica and was more just piecing my training together. But, um, I just loved being here that you can train year round. Like it's a training camp instead of having to go away on training camps over the winter, like in the UK. And it was more just a sustainable lifestyle. Mm, mm. And and so right now, who's in your team uh, down there? 
Yeah, so um, I live with my boyfriend, Sean. Um, I know Sean. Say hi to Sean for me. Um, I, I, <laughs> from South Florida here, I, we used to... Sh- we used to do some swim training together when oh, he was yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make, um, yeah. Great guy. My coach now is Dean Golich. Um, he's like primarily a bike coach, but he's a sports scientist. So he's just super, you know, across the board, just very, very science-based. And, and we just get to, you know, on really well personally. And he, he wouldn't let me, he, he pulls me up on my, you know, my stuff. So he wouldn't, he, he <laughs> wouldn't stuff. let me, yeah, he wouldn't let me do what I did in, uh, 2017. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, so how long have you been working with him then? Who were you working with in 2017 so when that all happened? 2017, um, it was train sharp. Who was a bike coach. Um, they were doing my biking. Sean was doing my running. Um, cause he was also like pacing me on my runs and I was like piecing together the, like the, everything else. And, um, and then when I got injured in 18, I was like, oh, okay, it's time for someone to just take total reins of my training. I don't want to be piecing it together. I don't want, mm. you know, Sean to be doing my running anymore to be, you know, like I want him just to be my boyfriend and not my coach. Yeah. Too. Um, mm. Uh, it's it's hard to manage that though, isn't it? I was let me, sorry oh, to interrupt, but yeah. that, that relationship, <laughs> you know, Laura and I, you know, we, we basically coached each other. And, and what <laughs> I mean by that is I might take control a bit of the physical overall program. She'd help me with all my emotional, you know, <laughs> highs yeah. and lows because she was far more the even keel, you know, person in the relationship. But it was always a work in progress. And we often had to remind each other, you know, our marriage, our relationship comes first. And yeah. then we had to step back and take a, a deep breather. So with you and Sean, was there that kind of relationship, you know, those kind of discussions? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's always just tough because, like, I obviously wanted to please him. I wanted him his, you know, acceptance and whatever as me as an athlete as well as me as his girlfriend. And it's just, it's just so much easier <laughs> if yeah. we separate. I agree. Uh, and how was that, how was that conversation? Did you bring that one up? Um, I think it was probably <laughs> a mutual thing. I don't remember, but he was probably super relieved. <laughs> I bet. And what about your family then? Because if they're all back in, are they in Wales or in Britain there? I mean, are you getting to see your parents and your your brothers and sisters? Yeah, I tend to go back um, now only once or twice a year. Obviously, COVID's had um, put that, you know, block around that. But um, usually just on my way back from the Middle East races, I'll um, fly by um, for a little bit. But yeah, like it's it's hard being away, but also I couldn't imagine living in the UK anymore just with like the weather and and I feel just like my whole life is out in the States now and and it's just a very accepting place to be to have this kind of lifestyle. Yeah, people find it normal. I remember actually when I first uh, growing up in Australia to be a professional triathlete was very normal. You know, we grew up with professional races that were were live on television and, and it was a very, except when you said to somebody, I'm a professional triathlete, everyone say, Oh, that's great. Then I came to the U S in, in, in 2000 or or even earlier, I think late nineties. And I say, I'm a, I'm a, you know, professional triathlete. They'd be like, you can make money at that. I'm like, um, 
how do, how do I answer that? You know, yeah. I guess so. Um, and how much money do you make? And where does your money come from? I love how people, people are very comfortable asking you how you oh, make yeah. your money. And I'm like, oh, and what do you do? Oh, I'm an accountant. And I'm like, oh, people pay you to do that? <laughs> uh, it, it was always a, so the US, where, where you are in the US is maybe fairly accepting of it. I think that Southern California, they're very used to, you know, professional triathletes and, and you yeah. know, there have been so many there for so long. Um that, that it is nice to be in a place that you can be comfortable to be a professional triathlete. Um, I, I want to move on. You know, we've talked a fair bit about, you know, the mental and the emotional side of sport, especially with, with what you've gone through. Um, these days, are you working with anybody or how is your sort of mindset preparation going into big races these days or, you know, is it just from the lessons you've learned? Are you visualizing and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, so actually last year um, I started working with a sports psychologist um, who was just super – it was was a great time because it was also just like me working on myself personally, like outside of sport. Um, Mm. But, you know, the crossover between life and sport and everything else, like it was just a really good time and I really got a lot out of it that I think like – it just really changed me, um, gave me a whole new perspective. And, and even like leading up to Nice, we obviously worked together a lot. And, and that's good. I just think like it's, it's such a big, you know, you spend all this time working on your physical body to not work on your, you know, mental side. You're just, mm. you know, missing such a big part. Um, so, yeah, no, that was super helpful. And like even – even just leading into Nice for me being focused on like it was, it was a lot about just me focusing on being proud of my effort and being gritty and, and not, not the outcome, um, which was really good. And also like headspace meditation is something that, um, I find is like could being a really good, good thing to just add into my, um, daily life. Mm. You mentioned uh, life plus sport, and I, I had a guy by the name of Hamish Carter. Hamish Carter won the 2004 uh, Olympic Games for the men. And New Zealander, just incredible athlete through the late 90s and early noughties. And he was really one of the favourites to win the 2000 Games and came mm. way back, did not have a good day. And, and, and he had to step away. And it wasn't change himself as an athlete but change himself as a person. And that was the one big takeaway from that that conversation we had. He said, look, I had to change who I was as a person and my outlook at life. And he came back to 2004 as a different person, the same kind of athlete, but a different person. And that affected the way he raced. And then he went on, you know, went on to win the Olympic gold. And it was, it, it was a very fascinating insight into the way that we can perform on the race course is directly correlated to how we are in our home life, our well, relationships, absolutely. how we, how we see ourselves. Yeah. I mean, that, I think it's fantastic that you've reached out to a psychologist. What, what else has she done in terms of, you, you talk about the athletic side, what has she done in terms of your home life? Um, like working on, like, cause you know, me and Sean actually work together on, um, relationship stuff too. And, and just, I suppose just stuff that you, you never just take out and evaluate and you realize all the stuff that doesn't serve you that you've just kind of adopted or, you know, just carried on just repeating. And, um, 
yeah, there's just been a lot of of stuff that, and it does just cross over in sport to whether it's like you're looking for validation and things like I grew up with like swim coaches and stuff that you're trying to please and then with other coaches that can be really dangerous because you're putting yourself in a hole all the time and whereas like my new coach Dean I say new coach I've been with him for uh, a couple of years now um you know at first I was like are you even looking at my training? Am I good? Am I bad? Like, what do you think of me? (laughs) It's like, you did it. Like, it's just a tick in the box thing. You know, you, you did it. If there's no problem, there's nothing to talk about. And that's why I was like, Oh, you know, I don't have to be so emotional about my training. Like I'm, I'm using this as a measuring stick of like what my self worth is. And, Mm. and like, just, you know, that, that was kind of, a natural process that I didn't even realize needed to happen. But then, you know, when we go over that stuff in like psychology too, and it just like, it's just stuff like that, that you just don't realize stuff you're carrying with you or things that you're just, yeah, it's just realizing your patterns and whatever it is that. So it makes you, it makes you ask, why am I doing it? Yeah. You know, am I, who am I doing it for? And I think all of us can get in that, you know, whatever we're doing, it's like you can get in that little trap, can't you? Of, you know, hang on, what am I doing it for? I, I've talked to a number of younger athletes and a bit like you, beating their heads trying to go to the Olympics, living on their parents' credit cards, traveling the world, trying to go. And he goes, do you really, really want to go to the Olympics? Or is it what your parents and your family and the rest of society says is what you should be doing? Or is there something else that you should be, you know, that you really, really want to do? And I think asking yourself those honest questions, which I think we all need to constantly do. I don't think it's ask once and then forget. We've got to keep asking ourselves, you know, is this really what I want to be doing? And so, so Dean's kind of training now. Is he, he's taken over the swim, bike and run and, or have you still got a squad that you use or how's that work? Yeah. So I, I have a squad that I swim with, um, it's changed slightly during COVID. Um, but yeah, he just kind of ties everything together and, um, Mm. like swimming's kind of easier to manage, but you know, running and cycling, he, you know, has total control over. Well, that's good. How many hours a week are you sort of training these days? What's your training look like? Um, I don't really add up the numbers, but like I'm, I'm probably on the lower side. I don't do like tons of volume. It's more just kind of quality stuff, but I would guess around 22 to 25 hours. That's, that's right on the, that's right on the money. (laughs) That's kind of, I don't think that's low. I think that's kind of right in, right in the, in the middle. I think the only time that changes is when people start to add in Ironmans and they might spend a few more hours on a bike each week. But honestly, I think, you know, that's, that's right in the, in there. And how's your train, you know, your training, you've had a few coaches now, now that you're 30 and I think it's the golden 30. No, it's the best time. It's the, for, for an endurance athlete, you've now, we call it the golden 30s. I, I think the 30s, Chris McCormack actually referenced that to me. I think when we both sort of turned 30 at similar times, we said, right, now it all comes together. Now the endurance matches the speed, our, our, our mental side improves. But how has it changed for you now getting to this point, you know, you, you, you're training over this last sort of 10 years that you've been in the sport? Yeah, I mean, I'm more secure in where I am now. I think that's a big thing. I 
I've kind of made a little career for myself, which I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have sponsors behind me, uh, which obviously makes it a lot easier than when you're, you know, 26 and you're going race to race trying to earn prize money or, you know, don't know when the next paycheck's coming in. Um, and I just, I suppose I still race with the same enthusiasm and I just love training and it's just never lost on me that, you know, I'm so lucky that my hobby is my career and I get to do this like Mm. every day and I don't have to get a day job yet. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Avoid that as long as you can, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I kind of, for myself, I milked that. I guess I I, I raced professionally till I was 44 and (laughs) I I wouldn't have changed a thing, right? I mean, obviously I would have liked to have had more world titles and, and maybe a few more wins along the way, but you definitely got to be grateful for for what you're getting. What about in terms of sleep and recovery? How are you working that? Yeah, I mean, that's something I've always been like pretty on top of, like hours of sleep and and when I'm not training, I'm like pretty much horizontal. I'm in my normal text. I'm I'm pretty like religious about everything else you know, or just all the little things. It is sports science degree. So I feel like, like I know about nutrition. I know about, you know, everything else that goes on that. Um, yeah, I think that that little stuff I, I always kind of treat as important. Mm. You, you mentioned the Normatec boots. That was always the one thing that to be able to sit down in the basement, put the Normatec boots on. And even the worst case scenario is, you put your feet up for half an hour to an hour and you can't move, you know, with those boots on. And yeah. I used to drive Laura mad because I'd always be yelling out for water or food or something and I couldn't <laughs> get up from the boots. <laughs> and then it got to the point she wouldn't do it, you know, bring me anything anymore. I had to come prepared. <laughs> but um, the Normatec, they, they actually sponsored this show. So anybody listening that wants to, you know, you can um, get a discount by by going to the uh, – going to the show notes and they'll, they'll have a link there for you. Um, but definitely worth having in your oh, arsenal yeah. just to be able to sit. Um, do, are you using like the the Hypervolt, you know, for the massage tool? Or? Yeah, yeah. I use that like more just like quick brush over before training, after yeah. training. But then I just like the, the Normatex, like it's just, it's just passive. If you're going to be sat down watching TV, you may as well be in them. So I probably spend like an hour to two hours a day. Wow. Average, yeah. They're just permanently out. I have a travel pair and I have a uh, living room pair that just stay permanently out, on charge, ready, ready to go. That's awesome. (laughs) Are you getting massages and things, chiropractic work, you know, often otherwise? Yeah, I get massage like fairly often, not all the time, like maybe once every couple of weeks. Um, (laughs) I have like strength training like twice a week and my PT, I have a bit of manual work like every time before each session. So, um, mm. yeah. Are, are you, uh, is okay too with giving a little massage here and there. Who is? My boyfriend. Oh, is that? Okay. Well, <laughs> let's keep the show clean, but <laughs> that's great. Good on him. I'm like, just 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. You mentioned nutrition. Are you, um, 
are you supplementing with anything? Do you have to watch what you you eat, or is there supplementation that you're taking? Um, so I like I get blood tests every like at least once every year, kind of to see if you're deficient in anything and like things that I'm always deficient in, like vitamin D. Iron mm. is normally low, so like things like that. I just feel like optimizing. Um, like your blood profile, if you can, like, you know, you don't want to be deficient in something. Um, Collagen is something I started using uh, coming back from my injury, just like promote um, collagen synthesis, like anytime before strength training. So that's something I've just carried on um, before Mm. strength training um, and like hard runs and like protein, obviously. But yeah, that's pretty much it. And sometimes I've, because I had a bike coach before who was keen on beta alanine. That's something I've I've tried in the past, but it makes me feel really nauseous. So hmm. I feel like it helps me train better, like recover from training for like repeated um, intervals. But yeah, it's a hard thing to like religiously do every day because it's like six grams a day. You get the tingles, you feel a bit nauseous. It's yeah, I, I did that in. There's a couple of years that I've yeah played around with it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The vitamin D one is the one that I'm fascinated with. Um, and it was, I always knew that I needed to supplement every time I had sort of blood tests. You know, it mm-hmm. sort of showed I was a little low. And and then I had um, Dr. Mansoor Muhammad, one of the world's leading geneticists, come on the show, and we did my whole genetic profile. And he came on and he read it out, and I was listening to it. I'm like, oh, it was kind of you know very intuitive and. But I was putting myself very. I was feeling very vulnerable. Let's put it this yeah. way: as, as a podcast, you want to win, ah. <laughs> you wanna and, win your blood test. Yeah, I want to. Well, I want to <laughs> win my g- genetics. It's my DNA. Ah. I mean, it's like, and uh, and he he actually did say, look, you know, when the way I receive vitamin D is poor, the way I transport it to the cells is poor, and the way I receive it in the cellular level is poor. He said, Greg, you never can live north of, you know, 40 degrees, and you must be out in the sun, and you need to, you know. And it was interesting to know that that's at a at a genetics level that's a dna level that we we talk about some people are just affected more so than others in the way they respond to dna so that was interesting that you mentioned that and i i don't know if you've done any of that kind of dna testing but it was very very fascinating for me to hear that um and and we went through a whole bunch of other things but i won't bore you with but it was it, it could be an interesting one for you to try because i think the one thing with the the blood work is, and, and I think everybody should do blood work, you know, a couple of times a year if they can, yeah. is it's still a snapshot in that moment, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. you know, um, and, and it, it can be you're just coming off, you know, yeah, but it, but it is worth people doing. I think in terms of general health, it's a conversation we've got to have more these days. I think, you know, pandemic of COVID is one thing, but I think the pandemic of metabolic health is even greater. Um, totally. And us well, I'm not a professional athlete anymore, but professional athletes are not the metabolically healthiest people, um, believe it or not. They do tear themselves down incredibly. Um, so it's something to be just aware of, you know, as we're all beating ourselves up training every single day. I think it's uh, really, really important. Um, so, yeah, that's been absolutely fantastic, though, to hear that little bit from you. Um, now, you only get massage once every two to three weeks. That's yeah. that's. <laughs> that's not much at all. I uh, I think I retired by having I was getting massage five afternoons a week and chiropractor no, once a week. Won't. No, you. Oh won't. yeah. <laughs> Actually, by the time I was forty four, and this is no word of a lie, 
I would get up in the morning at about 5, 5.30 and hop in an Epsom salt bath <laughs> for like, yeah, for about 15 minutes, very hot, hop out, do some trigger point, you know, therapy, rollers and ball work and everything. Then I'd go do a little 3 to 4K easy jog just to get the body moving, a walk jog. Then I'd come back and kind of start my training, whatever whatever that was. And But then all my training, I would warm up, get it all done by 1 o'clock, and then the afternoon was always recovery. And if I didn't have a massage like you, I'd be in the Normatec boots or, or whatever. But uh, it really became a – that's the reason I actually st- I stopped. It wasn't my lo- – I loved the hard training. I was passionate about the racing. But the the doing the little things to try and keep the body going became so much. I was like, ah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't realize, though, once I retired, it would still take as much work just to keep the body going you know, <laughs> yeah. everyday stuff now. <laughs> I mean, maybe ask me in 10 years' time and my massage. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> I'm looking forward to let, Let's talk about that, looking forward. Um, yeah. What, what's next? I mean, obviously, we've talked about the PTO Championships this year. Um, being yeah, that the, so, the world... Hmm. So um, this year, you know, before everything, I was planning to do my first Ironman. At, oh, you were? At, at Ironman St. George. I wasn't going to... Uh, shout about it before I was just gonna show up on the start line and you know know. um and that was like perfect because it was drivable it was you know a course that I know well from 70.3 distance so I was super gutted that that got pushed out um but that's still the plan going forward it's not um going to be an Ironman at at St. George next year so I'd have to reevaluate, but um, I'd really just, I just really like to be at Kona to race because I think like your first, your first time in Kona is just kind of a learning experience and, and I just can't, I can't watch Kona another year from the sidelines. <laughs> I just can't like, it's, it's just too hard. Like, and, and even like, I don't know how much of me actually wants to do an Ironman, but there's a big enough part of me that's just so curious to see how I can measure up mm-hmm. that, yeah, that kind of. And the fact that Kona's after 70.3 Worlds, then you're like, well, if I could qualify, then, you know, I'm not losing anything and it would just be a, just be mm. a bonus. I don't think anybody really wants to do an Ironman, by the way. I think we think it's kind of like you do it for some people it's to just, you know, tick a tick a spot on, you know, and I've done it, kind of tick a box. Yeah. Tick a box. And but I and I think as a professional athlete, obviously if you can do well there, I think it's 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 great. Um but it's I, I think it's an event that if you love the sport yeah you've you've got to go do it and give it a go um and i i think with with your background with the team around you um with your experience in in the half ironman distance i i I think you're going to find and and like you said i i I think you're managing expectations well you know by just saying look just give me a chance to just ease into it and see how it goes um i i think you'll do very well at it um yeah i feel like i I do well over the long distances. I just don't know about that long distance, but I don't know. Like, it's just, I'm just curious and it's just a new challenge that kind of excites and scares you. And I think that's important. That's always good. 
Mm, yeah. That's really important. It's nice to have that little bit of fear and that anxiety. Yeah. Isn't it? See, that's what we're fueled yeah. by. All of us. We don't want to medicate it. We want to go do an Ironman. We're going to use it for fuel. I, I love that. I know. Yeah. I the first time I did a seventy point three, I was in tears afterwards. Like, I can't do that again. It was too long. <laughs> it's too I mean, long, too hard. Two hour bike ride. I'm, you know, bonking. Not bonking, but you know, you're just like, where the hell is this finish? Like, I love that. Yeah, I love that. it's so true, it's a lot isn't of it? Alone time, but I'm like, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of alone time to do an <laughs> And I've always said I need some, you know, it's got to be at, like midlife where I've got some deep dark stuff to work out. Like, <laughs> time, but I don't know, I'm just gonna have to make faces of the cameraman or something. And I, yeah. I, I think I saw a lot of mates go to Ironman once they started having kids. It was yeah. amazing how, how suddenly they needed to do five and six hour bike rides. I was like, huh. No way, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Now, what about some of your places, you know, you mentioned that you traveled and you've done all these races. What, what would you recommend to listeners for, for races around the world? Oh, I just think racing is like the best way to travel because what it takes like all the pressure of just you loving the place. Cause you know, like you big up your vacation somewhere that you want to see, like it can be a little bit too much pressure that you put on that place to just overwhelm you. So if you're there for a purpose, you're there to raise like, just like making the most of hotel life before, like get into a nice hotel, eat good food. Like obviously, you know, within whatever you're allowed I always like carb a load for three days with candy. So I'm always like on a sugar high and like. Do not listen to her. Do not listen to her. Oh yeah, maybe. (laughs) Actually. I love that. It's it's the best thing. I have it all weighed out. It's it's a proper procedure. Um, (laughs) And then like you get a couple of days afterwards when you're just like tired as hell and like just earns your couple of days vacation that you can just totally let loose, just make the most of it. Like, I just think it's the best way to travel. Like I went to Vietnam last year on the, you know, it was like six days or seven days after 70.3 St. George and like just had a whale of a time, like making the most of like getting massages and (laughs) at the hotel, like just living the high life over there and, um then we like had a big party after the race and yeah it was mm. awesome I, I agree i agree that these racecations as they call them yeah. i think you know and some of those asian races are just phenomenal i think you, you mentioned vietnam and i think the philippines um there's just so many incredible right i i love going to europe although yeah. i felt like every time i went to europe the, towards the end of my career it was always raining and cold so i started to get uh, <laughs> I, I only want to race where palm trees are from now on oh. uh, <laughs> that was it. i got comfortable i got very comfortable in my old age but yeah did any of those races really stand out where you're like okay people you must go to this one any of those um i just think all of them are just such a different experience so yeah yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I won't hold you to it. I've never been to Asia. European champs was awesome. Hmm. But yeah, I just like, I'd love to look at next year's calendar whenever it's out and be, you know, thinking, where can I go? That's awesome. I love that. And what about for training? You've, you've mentioned, you know, Southern California. Is there anywhere else you'd, you'd like to train or have <laughs> trained? 
it's hard. Like even, you know, even now, like Santa Monica, it's like such an expensive place to live. There's no pro triathletes that live here. And like, but you try and look at anywhere else and the weather is just so good all year round. It's like, it's just so hard that, you know, I've been burnt out from like real winters in the UK that I'm like, I can't do another real winter when you're, you know, picking your clothes up from the radiators before you ride, just so you're like warm for that first 10 minutes getting out, crossing <laughs> patches of ice on the road, wearing an aero shell because it's just pissing it down, raining. Like, yeah, they were just, just kind of gruesome, grueling, trudging into the pool every day with, you know, just raining outside. Whereas here I get to swim out in the sunshine and the mountains here are just beautiful. Like it's, it's hard to be. Yeah. You, you painted a really gloomy picture just then. I was, I was visualizing <laughs> the poor, and there's many athletes in the UK that are listening to these shows. And, and I, I, I really feel sorry for you guys now. Um, and, and I think about <laughs> Canadians and, and North Americans now that are getting that, uh, just that really spoiled cool. now. That's, that's what it is. I'm just spoiled. Yeah. Well, I think it's not just spoiled. You've made it happen. You're making it happen. I'm all about life by design. You choose what you want and you go make it happen. So you're, you're, you're behind the steering wheel. So good on you. I think it's fantastic. So this has been fantastic. Where can people, you know, follow you and, and that? Yeah. So Instagram is pretty much, um, the only social media platform I use. And my name is Holly Lawrence. Try. Okay. Perfect. All right. Well, this has been a real thrill. Thank you for making it happen. This is really fantastic just to get a little insight into your world and how you've progressed and, and where you are. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been absolutely fantastic. Now, if you want any of that information, you can go to bennettendurance.com forward slash media uh, for the show notes, timestamps, coupon codes, um, and all the links. I'll have all of that there. Um, Holly, thank you so much again. This has been wonderful. Yeah, no, thanks very much. That was fun. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.